0: So what I like about ESG is that it's a shift for compliance people going from looking mostly at the risk to what are the risks either we are causing to our environment as duty of care or what are the risks our environment may cause to us, typically uh, corruption risk assessment. ESG is also looking at the positive aspects. So it's really risk, opportunity, and positive impact, really, to take a fashionable term.
1: ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance on the ESG report, and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. And Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Cecilia Falouz-Gunkel. Cecilia is a longtime and well-known compliance practitioner in France, and we've had the opportunity to work together both in live conferences when we used to do things like that, and a couple of virtual conferences. So, Cecilia, first of all, welcome back to one of my podcasts.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to have another conversation with you.
1: So, could you tell us what you're up to these days and tell us a little bit about Compliance for Good, because we're recording this on International Anti-Corruption Day, which I can't think of a better person to spend it with.
0: Oh, how perfect. Absolutely. Yes. So I'll just give a bit of background. So I'm a French attorney by, by training, and I fell into compliance in 2008 when I left a law firm Baker McKenzie to work for an American medical device company. I think everybody expected me to do only contracts and deals, but I fell into compliance then and that was really became my passion since then. So that company got purchased by a larger one and I moved to another medical device company. And after this couple of experience in-house, I decided to create my own consultancy. So my consultancy is called Compliance for Good. And the reason for that is it's becoming very fashionable now to say everything for good but I like compliance for good because it's not only for the let's say the greater good, very modestly, but also because I like the idea that when you start in a compliance program, you do it for good, meaning in the long term. And so these days, of course, I still have a lot of clients in the you know life science industry, but there's a lot more industries now coming to play. So it's very interesting to go from the more technical conversation around and corruption and going more and more these days to maybe more holistic approach, ethics, integrity, and how to have all these different technical parts of a compliance program assembled into a larger puzzle and it's making sense for the company as a whole. So Cecilia, so, so yeah, that
1: last part really brings up what I wanted to visit with you about, which is ESG and how you see ESG evolving, how you see compliance and ESG evolving, I feel like compliance is well-situated to be a big part, if not lead, an ESG effort. But if I could start with, how have you seen ESG evolve in Europe and the EU over the past few years?
0: So this is a fascinating topic, and we'll talk a little bit more, of course, as we go about what it means for compliance, the compliance teams. But if we take a little bit of a step back, it's interesting, first of all, to remember that ESG is a little bit of a tentacular notion. It's very broad. And many of the various aspects pre-existed prior to the current trend around ESG, of course, for example, uh, environmental rules, the CSR, extra financial obligations, reporting obligations. They've been part of the corporate world for a very long time. I guess what's changed now with ESG is On the one hand, how the investment and the financial world have been behaving recently. For example, we see that ESG-oriented investments have uh, risen in absolutely enormous proportion recently. I think I read somewhere that the the global sustainable investment now is topping thirty trillion US dollars. So this has an impact globally. And what's interesting as well, which also helps uh, if we bear in mind the compliance teams here, but also helps bring in the conversation is to see how many financial institutions are now ready to put a tag, a price, like a tag on ESG efforts of companies. And what's very interesting is how uh, the conversation on how this this better financial conditions are being going to be given revolves around KPIs and key performance indicators. This is something compliance people, we know very well. So this is one first area where ESG is interesting for compliance people. So that's the first thing I think that caused the shift between what happened before with all the existing rules, CSR, environmental rules, uh, going to ESG is this role of uh, the uh, financial world. And on the other hand, it's also how very, very strict rules are becoming are coming to light. Specifically we talk about France in terms of ESG, specifically the duty of care law. It's more and more stringent. And it's really interesting to see how the EU has been at the forefront of these discussions.
1: And what have you seen in terms of those discussions from the regulatory landscape, whether it be regulationslash guidance, or have you started to see any real enforcement actions yet?
0: Right, so what we see currently in in eu in the eu so i'm not real expert on like the overall you know of course uh, all things e s g related in Europe. however, I find two very interesting trends. the first is as I mentioned regarding the financial world, and i don't think we've for companies we even have not been within this sector, the financial sector I, it's the first time we really uh, of this conversation uh, where everybody is very interested in what's happening in the financial sector because it has an impact on the corporate world and we see it from the compliance office. So, for example, in Europe, there's this new SFDR regulation that that really obliges financial service companies to disclose how they count for sustainability risk in their advice and the decision. And it's interesting to see the definition of the sustainability risk, which is very close to what we have in the French duty of care law. So the, this first trend is really this SFDR regulations. And the second is the upcoming mandatory due diligence in terms of human rights, environment, environmental and co- governance due diligence. So this last topic is very important. So this is a, a draft directive. And it's very much inspired by the French duty of care law. So the duty of care law is a 2017 law, which requires companies of a large size, so 10,000 employees, 5,000 employees, depending where they're, they're located in the world, to have what we call a vigilance plan. So this vigilance plan is basically a plan made of a risk assessment and remediation plan. Where companies identify the risks and remediation measures in relation to environmental risks, human rights risks, and health and safety, not only within their realm, within their remit of their own activities, but also actually and more so for their suppliers and subcontractors. So, since 2017 in France, we have this law which basically makes caused compliance officers in France to do ESG actually. Maybe we didn't call it this way, but we had the environment, we had human rights, uh, societal impacts of companies. So when I say that the European draft directive is inspired by the French duty of care law, it's true. However, in France, something interesting happened. So when the law was adopted, it was extremely wide and uh, the sanctions were quite high. And the Supreme Court decided that, reminded some principles, and basically those principles were that the publication of the Vigilance Plan could not force companies to make disclosures on commercial uh, industrial strategy. That's one thing. The second, the Supreme Court completely struck down imprec- imprecise provisions, instituting a civil fine for the inadequacy of the of the plan. And lastly, it reminded that the liability of the company can only be engaged if there is a direct link link between the alleged damage and the alleged breach. And all these precautions that have shaped the French duty of care law, we don't find them at all in the draft European directive. So basically, some commentators are very concerned at the moment because the the European Directive, is seen as creating an obligation or almost a presumption of responsibility for the companies as to what's happening in the supply chain rather than having to, a need for proof and evidence of a link between the damage and the breach. So there's a, this is a draft directive, and there's a lot of growing concern about it's, uh, it's drafted.
1: So, Cecilia, I really like your focus on supply chains because in many ways I feel... The EU is far ahead of the United States in things like human trafficking, modern slavery, and requiring companies to look at their supply chains much more closely. In the United States, it actually tends to be the general public who will become upset if they find out that a supplier is using indentured servants, slaves, or persons held against their will, whether it be in clothes manufacturer or whether it be in tuna fishing or, or anything else. Well, let me change the focus a little bit about your consultancy and compliance for good. And I was wondering what types of questions you might be receiving from your clients around ESG or conversely, is there any advice you're giving them specifically around ESG?
0: So one, it's a very interesting situation currently in, in France in this respect because we have this law I mentioned already quite a bit, the duty of care law. And we also have, as you know, the, the French sapin to long. And this is so interesting to see actually how. So I can have companies coming to me with one of these aspects. And what I lo- love the most is to make it a more holistic conversation, a more global conversation. For example, I give you an example of uh, I was working with this company who many companies currently, even small, small ones, are having consultants do ESG impacts analysis, which is interesting. So some for because they, they need it for their banks, some because they are smaller companies with uh, investment firms on top and uh, they need to prove their value when, when they are going to uh, discuss the exit strategy. So you have the discussion. So many companies have this separate approach to going to see consultants and do this ESG impact analysis. That's one thing. On the other hand, they also have oblig- the obligation to do this duty of care plan. And some of the conversation we're having sometimes is, well, can't we try and and do both at the same time? Mm Because if you're looking at, it's a very interesting conversation, because if you're looking at your ESG impact, you can also look at the risks. So what I like about ESG is that it's a shift for compliance people going from looking mostly at the risk. So what are the risks either we are causing to our environment as duty of care or what are the risks our environment may cause to us, typically uh, corruption risk assessment. ESG is also looking at the positive aspects. So it's really risk opportunity and positive impact, really, to take a fashionable term. So the the conversation currently with companies is really, okay, let's take a, a step back and look how we can have this conversation being holistic, being a general one. And this conversation then automatically becomes more strategic. You directly have the ear of the board because it's more efficient. It's a very helpful one. And I would like to say, uh, going a little bit over the, the theme of the interaction between compliance and uh, ESG here, but compliance officers have been doing this for a long time, this conversation, although maybe not in a, such a favorable environment. But when we were preparing uh, drafting code of ethics, because our code of ethics have always encompassed all these aspects. And so we are used to this. And I think compliance officers in companies should not forget that this is something we, we, we used to do, we know how to do it, and we can have an, a, a global vision of, about.
1: So I see the compliance, the chief compliance officer, the corporate compliance function as playing as you suggest, a very big part in ESG or perhaps even le- leading it. But I really wanted to get your views on that from your perspective as a EU, European, and French compliance professional.
0: Right. So this is, uh, for me, it's a, a very fascinating topic. So I remember, you know, Tom, a few years ago, when all the compliance folks, we rushed to the, the booth of uh, LRN, uh, you know, at various conferences to grab the HOW, How report, you know, and the how report contained a little bit of the holy grail of, I found, you know, it's like, okay, here are some metrics that show, that give some meat around what we've been saying, i.e. the value of compliance and ethics and compliance to a company's bottom line. But still, I mean, I remember incorporating bits of this in my presentations, but coming from the compliance world with these arguments, Sometimes it seemed a little bit uh, shallow, you know, the the arguments were not as strong as we wanted to be. Now, move back to uh, 2021, and you have full reports by consulting firm McKinsey explaining how ESG has a positive impact on the bottom line. And the arguments that they're looking at is what compliance people have been saying for so many years. For example, less risks of having a sanction by authorities and Retention of employees and how companies become appealing to uh, potential candidates, uh, including younger generation, etc. So it's a very interesting uh, shift. And again, I think really, I would really encourage any compliance person to not shy from jumping on that train. Of course, obviously, sometimes the ESG structure, well, department is already structured in a company. So, in this case, I mean, it's not like everybody starts fresh you know and can become can really define the contour of his or her field. However, if that's the case, if there's really a strong c s r becoming e s g department, I think really compliance should really have a, a a place in there and make sure they're part of the conversation and this makes me think of the, some of the great advice that Christy Grandhardt gave in her book, you know, uh, two books, I think, about compliance officers. And I like the beginning of that one of the two books where she's saying, okay, sit down with the various people around in specifically support services, but not only, various people, and, and say, okay, these are the topics we think fall under the remit of vehicle compliance. Who's taking care of it? And what are the actions? And I think it's a very interesting discussion to have, specifically for ESG. Human rights has been part of this list for many, many companies. But I think it's even more important now to be very clear about it. And I've seen in some companies, some um, once the people outside of compliance realize how important the topic is, how strategic it is, sometimes it's a little bit too late because compliance people maybe are uh, caught in a bit of a fight. So it it really depends. And I would hate my compliance folks to not be part of that discussion,
1: really. So Cecilia, we talked about the S part of ESG, and we've actually touched upon the G part as well with the remarks around code of conduct. But I was wondering if we might focus on the E part, environmental, because at least the compliance practitioners I speak with, they, I don't want to say they're confused, but they don't feel as comfortable with the environmental component. Uh, of ESG. And they feel like that you really need a technical expert to do that. And, and I argue that you, you certainly need technical expertise, but you also have to report the results. You have to monitor the results. You have to continually improve your results, which I hope people understand is a part of a compliance program. But once again, I wanted to maybe get your thoughts from your perspective on the E part of ESG.
0: Yes, I would absolutely concur with with what you just said, because it's true that on the one hand, it is a technical subject, and it depends on the companies. So there's two dif- there's different situations. So some companies do not have a much of an environment, environmental concern, you know, beyond just switching off the light at the end of the day and making sure we recycle paper. So in this case, you don't want to uh, create an environment where you are actually, environment yeah, where you force yourself to claim environmental prowess where there's no need for this. So that, that's the first thing. And then other companies where it's very, very structured because the risk is here. It's been managed for such a long time. So I agree with you that it is a technical aspect, but many other aspects of compliance are also. For example, if you look at compliance, most of compliance is actually in the accounts. So one could argue, you know, compliance is uh, corruption rather. Corruption is a, is a matter that's best looked at by, by financial and accounting people. But I agree with you. I think we're, we're, the two important things are for compliance people to be more part of this discussion now, to not really just, okay, I take the example of the Code of Ethics. Oh, we have to write something about environment. I'm going to transfer the document to the environment people and they're in whatever they want and that's it. I think it's important now to really understand This technical aspect, specifically regarding uh, key performance indicators, because I think one key of all these this current situation with ESG and the 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 trend for ESG and everybody trying to fit in this new trend is going to be hopefully to have more harmonized KPIs. And I think it will be very interesting for compliance people to understand what what the KPIs are, how they work for environment, how they work for also safety and security, uh, where they have different aspects as well, different ways of looking at KPIs, in order to not have 10 different sets of KPIs and uh, methodology rather, because I think what compliance people really can bring to the table is this rigor, is this method, and as you say, you, you listed some of the components of a compliance program, and they're key here. They, we can use them. And I think one of the main uh, points, so I'm dig- digressing a little bit away from the e or e- ESG. However, I think one of the main areas where compliance teams really have an expertise that's very helpful is regarding third-party risk management. And that's because third parties are the heart of um, most of these discussions. And well, actually, we, we have a technique, we have a method to look at third parties. So this is really where not only can we have the strategic way of thinking about these topics, but we also have the technical, more, more, more tedious way. You know, the, the tedious, uh, rigorous, the more rigorous approach to uh, to these topics, specifically uh, third-party uh, management.
1: Cecilia, you mentioned companies who may, for their e-component, turn the lights off at night and even recycle paper. But let me take it a step further. To companies who engage in greenwashing, which is making claims around their environmental successes or achievements when they don't really hold up to scrutiny, do you see a role for compliance in either preventing, detecting, or remediating greenwashing?
0: Yes. So again, I think with the the rigor of the compliance approach, with compliance teams having been challenged for so many years around. The efficiency, really the efficiency of the program, the auditability, the quality of the data. I think it's a very interesting idea to bring compliance to the table because compliance will not be able to help but challenge these allegations. So, again, I'm thinking about, for example, again, the the Code of Ethics. It's always been very important to make sure that these claims were true. Because we've seen recently there's an interesting case where some employees or former employees of Google are suing Google because they are not respecting their code of ethics, don't be evil. So this is is an interesting, it's a little bit of an anecdote, but it's interesting because I think we've always been very careful to, very mindful of what we wrote in these various documents. So I think compliance can be really and legal. Definitely, compliance and legal can be helpful safeguards to uh, this kind of allegations.
1: I'd like to ask you now if you could perhaps look down the road to twenty twenty five or even beyond. Where do you see compliance and its intersection with ESG, and then where do you see ESG going?
0: Right. So I really hope that compliance professionals will have jumped on the ESG train and because that really is where we belong. It's in the strategic sphere and the strategic role of ethics and and compliance. So I would like to quote Alison Taylor in when she's thinking about the future of the compliance professions, talking about the chief integrity officer. I think that's spot on. I think that's a very smart <laughs> a very smart title, so I really hope that this is what the compliance profession will aim towards and also regarding ESG, currently there's many, many many different people and organizations trying to set the standards set set the referential and the, the KPIs and I hope for the really the better good, the greater good that we'll have some harmonization also and that's very important, mm-hmm. taking into account the principle of reality that companies have, are just companies, I mean, they, when you see, I'm thinking about an example that might be giving us a glimpse into what ESG and compliance of the future is going to look like, which is what Michelin, the tire company, did. So the procurement department of Michelin created an app, it's called RubberWay, and what they, they did is they, they explained that in a given, one given rubber factory, they use maybe five or 10 or more suppliers of rubber. So, and in one tire, there can be rubber coming from five different factories. So traceability of the supply chain, even in one given rubber, is almost impossible. So, they've taken this approach, they've created this app. First, they developed it following a risk based approach, which I think is going to ABBR saving grace saving in this, because I think the risk based approach, again, talking about one good habit of a risk and compliance people, can really be helpful. And so, what they did is they created this app that really allows to follow the origin of the rubber and making sure that there is a grievance mechanism at as many levels as possible. So this is a glimpse into what it could look like, but I also going back to the principle of reality, I think we have to be realistic into what companies can really do and what can be expected of companies. So I think sometimes it's too easy to just uh, dump all these obligations on, on companies. And I think really, because if we talk about the principle of reality on what we're expecting from companies, then we can expect Real efficiency. We can really be more realistic, and because at the end of the day, what counts is that we don't have greenwashing. Is that we what we do, what we say, we do, and what we do, we say. So that's really where we're going to be able to move the needle in this very important topic.
1: So tell you, one of the reasons I've always admired you and your work is you have give back to the compliance community. You worked at or or are involved in the circle of compliance. And then I saw that you actually taught at the Sorbonne in the first half of 2021. And I really wanted to end this podcast with some of your reflections on what you saw in your students. Do they have a passion that perhaps you and I do for compliance? Do you see the new generation as taking compliance to another level? And also what was your experience like in teaching either young lawyers or young compliance professionals at the Sorbonne?
0: Right, so that specific course it's going to be happening again next year. It was the, the course I was teaching. So I joined my two, my class with uh, Suzanne De Becker from uh, Microsoft. So we did, a, really, we had a lot of fun preparing that course. But the topic was, uh, the main topic was compliance program, which is fantastic. So the, the students in that curriculum, they, they look at the various more legal aspects, you know, theme by theme, uh, anti-corruption, uh, competition, etc. And then after that, we shift to more practical aspects. And I think we start off that, that discussion looking at the compliance program. And what better theme can there be to encourage the future generation to take a holistic approach and just, to you know, step back and be strategic in their construction of the program? Answer so your question about the, this new generation, they're very practical. They're very lucid, I would say, in a way. They really want to change things from within. But they're really curious to see if this is possible and how this is done. So they're very critical, they're very, which is good. It's really a challenging um, crowd. They're really are asking questions. They, most of them have quite some experience already. It's a fascinating discussion to have with, with these guys.
1: So, Cecilia, you know, unfortunately, now we are at the end of our time. But I was wondering if listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics we've discussed, or to follow up with you on anything you've talked about, how could they do so?
0: All right. So I think for some more information, ESG topic is really so huge. There is information from everywhere. So there's some sources that I like to go to. So for example, EcoVadis, I find a very interesting information, good corporation as well, this kind of structure that that we try to give a frame to this discussion. I would also, in France, I would encourage people to go to the website of uh, I'll say it in French, Entreprise pour les droits de l'homme, which is an association that really works with companies and their um, management of human rights issues. So it's a very active association. And I would also recommend reading what Alison Taylor posts because she's very critical. She has a very critical view of how ESG is being looked at. And I think it's really a a good challenge for people to read her posts and uh, positions. And in France, Similarly, we have somebody who's quite impressive, called she's a lawyer called Noël Lenoir. She's been a minister; she's been a minister rather. She's worked in the Supreme Court. She's worked in the French Data Protection Agency. She's and she has a lot to say about duty of care, about ESG. So I would also recommend people check uh, what she writes out. And as for me, you can find me on LinkedIn.
1: Really, well, so yeah, this is going to be the last. ESG Report podcast for 2021. I can't think of a better way to have ended this year than to have you on this podcast. I wanted to have you for some time. So happy holidays. I hope you have a wonderful time with with your family. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with you in 2022 and beyond.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, I am looking forward to continue having this discussion with you as well. And I wish you and all our listeners Uh, Listeners, a very happy new year and best for the year to come.